interesting because um, we've been just spending an intense time of prayer and seeking the Lord this week. And I've been thinking a great deal on the pouring out of the Spirit and thinking of what Joel was speaking in his prophetic words that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon the young ones and upon the maidservants. And I was thinking and reflecting that, I don't know, but um, when I came to faith and I came to church, it was an everyday occurrence when we meet together for worship that there was always something supernatural. It was unpredictable. There was an air of unpredictability in the congregation because there'll be praying. People would be fasting. And as we are worshiping, the Holy Spirit will come and God will move. It seemed that time to, to me, at that time, a bit bizarre and a bit eccentric, but people were moving in the spirits. Chairs were pushed aside. And um, when I first observed that, I, I wanted to know why this was and what was happening. As I read scriptures, I recognize that there are different levels in which we operate as believers. The first is our natural fleshly level where we operate because we understand what we're doing. So we know when to stand up. We know when to sit down. We know when to say amen because of things that we've learned. So we've become very much learned behavior and we know what to do in church. And then there is the part where we come to church and actually we know all what we need to do and yet something of the Spirit comes upon us and there's an encounter and we find ourselves doing things that we don't normally do. Sometimes it's raising our hands, sometimes it's shouting, sometimes it's crying, sometimes it's speaking continually in tongues. You see, whenever the Spirit of God comes in a place, you and I will know. We will know. Whenever God turns up in our lives, we will know. Because the way we move and respond and react, it's not natural, but it's supernatural. Do you remember when David went before Goliath? He said, um, a bear came to me and the Lord delivered it into my hands. He said, a lion came. And the Lord delivered into my hands. And so the Lord will deliver you into my hands, he said to Goliath. David wasn't speaking as a boy. He was speaking as a young man, young boy with an anointing. So he was speaking now as a man of God with a divine supernatural anointing on him that took away fear, that took away anxiety, that took away all the things that were before him in the natural, and David was in the supernatural realm. Today I will cut your head off. Naturally, Goliath laughed. He said, I'll feed your flesh 
to the fowls of the air. But spiritually, David understood that he was standing there in the power and in the anointing of the great God and King. And I want to challenge us as a people to come out of the realm of the natural and to move in the realm of the supernatural. Come out of the realms of the natural and move in the realm of the supernatural. And I want to challenge you that if you and I are going to move in the realm of the supernatural, then we've got to do what the Spirit says. The Spirit says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. And the way we draw near to God, there are two basic things, or three, three. This is not my sermon, but I just feel that I need to share this with you before I talk about what I'm going to tell you. Number one, it's important, number one, it's important that we as believers are people who are living right. We are living right. It's important. Remember, God is holy. God is righteous. And so the Bible constantly uses a word called sanctification. Set apart. We need to understand that God works through vessels. There are moments when God's spirit comes down and he causes blessings and his anointing to fall on the just and the unjust. Because you see, even in the Bible, there are people going to do wickedness and because the spirit falls on them, <laughs> they are moved. But let me tell you something. When we become a vessel of righteous, God works through us. Second thing, we begin to be a people of prayer. We have a desire to seek God. Let me tell you something. You cannot get close to God with a two-by-four prayer that many of us are doing. Good morning, God. Good afternoon, God. Good night, God. There has to be an intensity in prayer. There has to be a desire for you and I to seek God. And let me tell you something, young people, if you want to know how to sustain your integrity, your righteousness, and sustain your spirituality, you've got to become a woman and a young man of prayer where you're seeking God, where you're calling upon God, where you're learning to wait upon God, prayer. And thirdly, we need to be people who are in the word of God. In the word of God. Because the word of God provokes us and reminds us of what God does and how he does it. And so we are able to understand what God is doing in our lives. And when we do this, we become spiritual men, spiritual women, spiritual giants in Jesus. In Jesus. I need to pray as a Christian. I need to pray as a man. I need to pray as a pastor because it's there I'm going to draw sustenance from Jesus. It's there I'm going to walk in the spirit. It's there I'm going to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's there that I'm going to learn to obey God in righteousness and in truth. So I want to challenge us. Let's get in the spirit. Let's be people of the spirit. Let's be open vessels so that God could use us in a beautiful way. God wants to use us. God wants to use all of us. The anointing 
And the power of the Spirit is not restricted just for the pastors, just for the apostles, just for the elders, just for the bishop. It's not restricted. The anointing is there at liberty to flow in our lives. And God wants to pour out his Spirit. And so let's, let's seek the Lord. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to share these words with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and some verse 13. If you, if you haven't got your Bibles and someone beside you haven't got a Bible, share your Bible with them. I know some of you have mobile phones and all sort of things. Let me tell you something about having the paper, the paper Bible. It does something different that your iPad or phones can't do. Trust me, okay? The iPad and the phone, I've got my Bible on it, but I still have this. Okay, there's something about turning the paper, the leaves. There's something about that. There's something about being able to, hmm, and put a little ring around it and just go back to it. There's something about having the Word of God. So I want to encourage you, yes, have your iPad and your smartphone, but still have your Bible. Still read your Bible. Okay, still walk with it. Okay, so it's important. It's good. Okay, is that okay? That's not having a dig against technology, but that's just something that, you know, it's encouragement. I realize that there's something can't substitute for the real thing. Let's go. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's interesting because I've reflected and I'm still reflecting. I find this passion of scripture one of the most challenging portion of scripture in the Bible. For me, it's challenging. And it's challenging because God, Jesus is trying, to, is telling me and telling us what we should be like in our day. How we should be the characteristics that we should display, the lifestyle that we should display. Now, it's interesting for us to understand that the role of salt in the Bible, and it has a lot of, it has a spiritual meaning, but it also has a cultural meaning as well, and a cultural understand them. Now, everyone around Jesus, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, even the child would have understood what Jesus was saying. They didn't need no spiritual diploma to understand that because salt was so relevant, everyone used salt in those days. Salt was a necessity and it was a material that was widely available because people use it. People use it in seasoning. People use it to preserve things. You know, um, I'm from the Caribbean and in the Caribbean when they didn't have fridges and fridge freezers, we used to preserve our meat and our fish by salt. That's why we have ackee and salt fish. Okay, it's not because it rhymes. 
is because salt played a part in preserving that fish. I'm always fascinated by that. The fish could be two years old. You know, next time you go and buy salt fish, you know, ask the man, how old is that fish? That fish could be two years old. But the great thing about that fish, the moment you put it in some water overnight and soak it in the morning and you cook it up nicely, some onion, some okra. I know some of you guys just go to processed food, go to, you know, the big store and put it in the microwave and pop five minutes and it's ready. God help you men who find those wives. <laughs> Huh? But you know, there's, and, and there is always a process for food. Listen, God never intended us to have two minutes food. Did you hear that? God never intended us to just pop it in the microwave and power is finished. God intended us to take it up and to wash it and to season it and to, you know, cook it nicely. You see, the problem with us that we have just got so lost of the real meaning of what's supposed to happen in the natural and in the spiritual. And so here we are. Salt is being used for season. For, they used to use it for um, preservative, but also for disinfectant. It was a, also a ceremonial component. So everyone knew for salt for one reason or the other. Now, it's important for us as Jesus brings this up, you say, why is it that Jesus wants to bring the whole issue of salt? Because for me, Jesus wants to bring the issue about our relevancy. How relevant are we as the church, as Christians? People knew salt because it was relevant for seasoning, it was relevant for ceremony. It was relevant to preserve things. It was relevant for them in various parts of society. Everyone knew the relevance of salt, and they went to great length to make sure that they had salt. Why is it today in the 21st century people are very skeptical of Christianity? Why is it in the 21st century people are skeptical of our beliefs and are skeptical about our worship? Why is it? May I put it to you, they're skeptical because, you see, they don't see the relevancy of Christianity. You go to the embankment, you see those kids skating, and you talk to them, and you, you know, you're engaging with them, and, man, they're on a different planet. They could tell you the latest games. They could tell you everything, the latest movie. They could tell you what's happening in the house, Big Brother, all sort of things, but they can't tell. Church, what's that, mate? Which planet are you on? Why? Because we have failed to be relevant. We have failed to be relevant to our generation, to our society. We look like them. We dress like them. Our attitude is like them. Our mannerism is like them. Everything about us says that, hey, we're just like you guys. And yet, biblically, Jesus was saying, listen, we've got to have a counterculture where we are distinctively known for who we are. We are distinctively known not because we are pious, not because we're self-righteous, but we are distinctively known because of our character, our personalities, and our spirituality. Come on. 
If we look like everyone, if we talk like everyone, if we behave like everyone, you look in the university campus, you look in the schools, you tell a Christian, hey, walk down the road with your Bible. You're kidding, man. I don't want to stand out. And that's the total opposite. Total opposite of what Jesus wants us to do. And you'll see that in a moment or so. We've got to be people who are relevant. And when we talk about relevancy, we're talking about people who have a bearing upon society. People respect us. People honor us. People come to us. And people say, listen, if I have a problem, if I have a need, I'm going to you because you're a Christian. You are different. That's relevancy. Come on. That's relevancy. You see, the mobile phones company, they've got it right. They not only make you think, but they make you feel that you want one of their phones. It's amazing how we've bought into that. So we feel more cooler with the phone that we have, the type of shoes we wear, and the clothes that we wear. We feel more cool and nice because of what phone we use, what iPad we've got, what trainers we've got, what t-shirt we've got, what jeans we've got, because you see the mobile phone is such as, listen, you're nothing unless you've got this. You're not relevant. You're nobody unless you've got this. Wow. Wow. And yet, you know, every year they bring out a new phone and every year they tell us that we need it. And every year we buy into it. Wow. It's incredible, isn't it? We buy into it. The women product. Man, I've never seen so many products in shops in my life. I thank God my wife has nice short hair. She looks beautiful. Man, if she was spending my money in those shops, like I see some people, man, they were troubling my house. If she was buying up those wigs, I'm seeing those wigs being bought up. And listen, they don't want the cheap wigs no more, you know. Hey. When I look at the price of those shops where you go and do your pedicure, manicure, and, and they fool you and they say, you know, they make you think you deserve it. You're worth it. And then you go home with an attitude, I'm worth it. <laughs> Listen, guys, you know, my wife's not here this morning, and I'm going to ask the guy to just cut this tape. When I saw my wife, I said to myself, Listen, you see that woman there? She's simple. I like her. She's simple, man. She's not going to burn my pocket on necessary things. <laughs> She's simple. She bought a wig once, you know. I said, honey, not for me. <laughs> not for me, not for me. I like them natural. Natural. No, 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 cut that. Listen, we've brought in, we've brought in that unless we have the wig, unless we have the phone, we are nobody. Listen, listen. Here what the Bible says, beloved, now are we sons of God. 
Come on. I'm not saying that you can't buy a mobile phone. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, listen, what about you and what you've got? We have got Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, we should be the number one relevant thing in our generation and in our society. Man, I'm excited about Jesus. I'm cool about Jesus. That's what the apostle said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation. We need to get to the place in our mind where we are relevant, having a bearing upon society, and we're saying we're cool about that. We are cool about that. I was in Glasgow yesterday, and I was reminding the guys, speaking to some guys up there, and I was saying, listen, guys, let me tell you something. These folks are street pastors on the, on the streets. And it's interesting, you know, as we go out on the streets, people come up to us. You know the amount of women who want to kiss me? I say, hey, listen, I'm a married man. Don't worry, don't mind that. You deserve it. You're relevant. You're good. And then they tell me I'm an effing good geezer. Come on. I get more affirmation on the streets than I do in the church. Geezer comes up to me from Sussex or in my office. You're a good geezer. You're effing good geezer. Let me give you an effing hug, mate. And he hugs me up. Why? Because he's saying, you're relevant. You're doing something that's needed. You're doing something that I love. You're doing something that's good. And they come. I don't have to ask them for offering on the streets. They're giving me money. They're giving me coffee. They're giving me tea. I have to ban my team from going to eat food. They're doing that. In the pubs, they have a room for us and a space for us. The guys gave us 6,000 pounds just to serve people. Why did they give us the money? Because they said, what you're doing is great. It's great. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we're not relevant, something is missing. And then hear what Jesus says. He says, not only do you have to be the salt, but hear what Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let me just go back a bit because he says this. If you're not seasoned, you're good for nothing. If you're not seasoned, you're good for nothing. If you're not that Christian that you're supposed to be, you're good for nothing. That's a harsh statement. You see, because if we are not being what Jesus has us to be, that means that we are failing the people we're supposed to be Jesus to. Hear what the Bible says. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Listen, it's Jesus in us, in us. Jesus has got to be exemplified in our lives, through our lives. It's Jesus in us. We need to ask ourselves the question this morning, can people see Jesus in us? Come on. Can people see Jesus in us? That's what we need to ask ourselves. At my college, at my school, at my work, in my home, in my family, can people see Jesus in us? And to hear what Jesus says this, you are, you are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. There are far too many Christians who are undercover, 007 licensed to do nothing. <laughs> They're embarrassed about their faith. They're embarrassed about who they are. Come on. There are too many Christians like that. 
you know, it's interesting because we're going through a cultural phase, particularly in the Muslim community, in the Islam, Asian community. And um, we're going through a phase where young girls are, you know, they don't have to dress like this. But the vast majority of them with their burqa are making a statement. That's what they're doing. And I, I salute them. They're making a statement. They're saying, we're going to be counterculture. And they wear their burqa. Do you see these girls? They, they dress up and they cover their face. I said, honey, boy, you must be serious. There's something wrong with you. But they're making a statement. And then some of them put the other ones on that makes them look fashionable, but still make a statement of who they are. Come on. It would appear that it's the Christians who are undercover, who are embarrassed, who feel timid about who they are. Jesus says, we are the light of the world. Now, when you mention the word light, or he mentioned the word light, he's talking about illumination. We've got to shine. We've got to be bright. People need to find us attractive. Come on. People need to. Listen, the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me in my life is Jesus. Come on. The most exciting thing is Jesus. Now, I don't know how you came to faith, but I know that I had an encounter with Jesus, and I know that I knelt down and I said, Jesus, come into my life. And I remember clearly saying, Jesus, I don't believe in this white man God, but if you're real, come in, God. Because I had my issues. But he came in. And I know that Jesus not only came in, but he transformed. Because here what the Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So if you're a Christian, there has to be that process of transformation. Something happened. Transformation of the mind, of the heart, of the spirit. God works. He, he restores. He renews. He changes. So there was a, a process of a metamorphosis takes place within our lives. So God changes us. You wouldn't believe it. I used to swear like a trooper. But that's what God does because he changed my nature. So I stopped swearing. That's what he does. Now, I'm not totally perfect. My wife would tell you that. But I strive for perfection. We call it progressive sanctification. Every day we stride, we stride, we stride. We stride to be perfect. Listen, because, you know, when we get to Jesus, but that's not an excuse to live in the flesh because the Bible clearly warns us that we should walk in the spirit. The Bible clearly charges us how we should live. And so in the Bible, there's an expectation that if we've been changed, that we begin to display characteristics that says this is Jesus. So our attitude, our thinking, our lifestyle says this is Jesus. And there's a challenge in the 21st century that to church, that we're all living like Jesus. So that people notice, listen, I can't put my head on it. What's different about you? There's something different about you. What is it? What is it? What is it that makes you stand out? You're not saying anything, but what is it that makes you stand out? They're going to ask you. And you're going to say, 
actually it's Jesus. And they say, are you sure, mate? Because they're all surprised, you know, when you say you're a Christian. They say, you don't look like one. What do they look like? What does a Christian look like? You know, years ago, you know, when you're a Christian and you're a guy in the church and, you know, you know righteous used to wear black suits, you know that? called the holiness movement. When Pentecostalism started, you know, it was this plane. And the women used to wear long dress and look something like, something like Dracula's wife or something. I don't know. But I think in those days, the more ugly you look is the more sanctified you were. And so we had this thing that, you know, women didn't do this, you know. You know, we were holy because we didn't wear what the world wear. This culture now, this generation says, listen, we've got to do everything we want, but it's not about, you know, what you wear and all kind of business. But they're not emphasizing is what's happening inside. It doesn't matter what I wear. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. It's about what's happening there. It's about what's displaying there. And whatever is happening in there is what's being displayed outside. And Jesus wants us to shine. You are, you and I, are the light of this world. Listen, brothers and sisters, let, let's be real with ourselves. We're not living for men. We're living for Jesus. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. We're living for Jesus. Paul said, the life that I now live, that's what Paul says. Listen, the life that I, now, I live for him. Jesus I live for. Not for men, but it's for Jesus. Because through the power of the resurrection, there has been a miraculous change in my life. And so we're talking and we're saying to people, listen, I've changed. And they say, well, how have you changed? Well, I changed because you see, I'm not living according to the flesh. And that's where always the tension is. The tension is always the flesh. Because the Bible said we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And principalities and power tend to latch on to our flesh. How many times that we are seeking to live right, to pray right, to walk right, and something says that you can't and knocks us off course and we feel embarrassed. And because we feel embarrassed, we can't go before God. Because the enemy's job is to steal and to kill and to destroy us. The enemy's job is to knock us off course, to knock us off from that relationship with God. That's what the enemy's job is. And yet God is saying to come on, I want you to live. There's something about when we desire to live for God and we fall and we stumble. But there's something about when we live a hypocrisy, a life of hypocrisy. When we live a life that's really not what Jesus has called us to live. And Jesus was speaking knowing that the scribes and the Pharisees and those religious bigots were around them. He knew that. But he also knew that there were people who were desperate to live. And so he says, listen, you need to be like light. You need to be like a city on a hill. If I said to you today, what about Paris? You think, wow, Sacré-Cœur, Notre Dame, Eiffel Tower. The Louvre. You think about all those beautiful places, the River Seine. You think about all these places because you see, those are places of natural attraction. Versailles, just outside Paris. You think about all these wonderful things. If I say to you New York, what would you think about? Medicine Square Garden, Manhattan. You think of all the great things, 
uh, um, the, the big tower there. You'll think of all those wonderful things in America that people long to go and see. If I say London, what do you think about? Big Ben, Downing Street, Parliament. You'll think about the Abbey. You'll think about the Buckingham Palace. You'll think about the Tower of London. You'll think about Madame Tussauds. You know, you'll think about the London Eye because they've all become attractions. That's why millions of people come to London because it's been a wonderful city. People have spoken about the city of London, so people come. London has been a place of attraction. But if I said to you, Baghdad, Come on, let's go to Baghdad. We're going to see some wonderful things. Pastor, let's I'll pray for you while you go. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? Beautiful cities, attractive cities, historical cities, cities that has beauty and nature and uh, attractiveness. And yet there are cities that have got disaster, chaos and anarchy and, and confusion. And Jesus is saying, we want to be an attractive city on a hill. We want to be an attractive city on a hill. People gravitate towards us because our lives are saying something. Is our lives saying something? What is our lives saying? And only you could be honest with yourself. Only you could be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself because you see, when we are honest with ourselves, then we can humble ourselves, then we could cry out, then God will hear from heaven, then God will heal us, and then God will restore us. Come on. We need to be honest with ourselves. One of the things I've, I've often prayed, God, save me from being a hypocrite. Save me from preaching one thing and living another way. Save me from that. I've said, God, I don't want to do that. I prefer you take me home. But I want to live for you, God. I want to be a, a righteous man. I want to be an upright man. I want to be a Christian who loves you unequivocally, who serves you with my whole heart, with my whole mind, with my whole strength. I want to be a man of God in all his sense. I want to be that. Because it's only in that context that I will know God. It's only in that context I will overcome sin. It's only in that context that sin will not have dominion over me. Sin will not rule my nature. Sin will not rule me in my mind. And so Jesus is saying, you and I are the light of this world, a city that cannot be hid. Let me tell you something. A real Christian cannot be hid. Everyone will know that you've got something and that you've got Jesus. We cannot be in the background. Come on. I don't go around with a big badge on my, on my lapel here and say, smile, Jesus loves you. I don't need to do that. But as I meet people, as I engage and interact with people, people will know that there's something distinctively different about me. Come on. You don't have to be a powerful evangelist. You don't have to pull out a four-by-four four Bible and beat people over the head with it. You just be that light. People will come to you. And then thirdly, hear what Jesus says. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm amazed and challenged of the amount of Christians who go to church and yet they're not involved in church. They go to church, they're part of a fellowship, and they're not involved in the fellowship. You've got the spectators Christians. Listen, Christianity is practical. It's not only speaking in tongues. It is practical. Jesus was very practical in his ministry. 
caring for people, loving people, reaching out for people, getting involved, getting his hands dirty. You cannot be part of this congregation and you're not saying to those leaders, what can I do to serve? There's something wrong. There's something wrong with your Christianity. If you're coming to church and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm just coming. I'm going to get the blessing. Yes, I'm going to give my little offering and I'm gone again. There's something wrong there, my brothers and sisters. If you're being what Jesus will have you to be relevant, if you're shining, then you've got to do, be doing works. You've got to be doing works. You've got to have application when you're doing something. I'm still amazed at the amount of people who will come to church, enjoy the worship, enjoy the blessing of the sound, enjoy all the good things, and after church, they would never live a speaker box. They will never sweep a floor. They will never do anything practical in church. It's somebody else's responsibility. We need to be ashamed of ourselves. Listen. I still help stack chairs in my congregation. Nothing wrong with that. I'm helping my brothers and sisters. If they could do it, why can't I do it? I still help move the tables and chairs. Why? Because it's my, it's my home. It's my family. You know, some people, you know, grew up, you know, and they, when they grew up, mom, get me my food. I don't know if some of you went to school and didn't make your bed up. <laughs> Uh, could you see that? Did you go to school and didn't make your bed up? Did mom bring porridge up to you in the morning? But some of you behave like that. You bounce into church. Everything needs to be spick and spam. Worship needs to be nice and crisp. Everybody there flowing. If the song people make a mistake, you're binding demons over there. <laughs> if the worship leader is not singing, you say she's useless. Everything needs to be nice for you, but yet you don't expect to do anything. Listen, it, does just, it doesn't just happen like that. There are people looking for anointing and breakthrough, but you'll never come and pray before church starts. There are people who are crying out to be saved, but you're never available for evangelism. You're never available to reach out because you're on a mission, your mission. You're doing your own thing. Let me tell you something. Listen, let me tell you something. I recognize this, that if I am going to be salt and light, I've got to be relevant and I've got to be engaged in the kingdom in a very practical way. Christianity is practical. I don't know what level. Some of you are in the third level, going up to the fifth level already, but come back down. There are some things that you need to learn on the first level. It's how to have applied Christianity, how to be relevant, how to be a servant, how to serve your brothers and sisters, how to wait upon your brothers and sisters, how to be part of the family that says, listen, I'm going to make sure that this house is the best house. I'm going to make sure that church is run properly. I'm going to make sure that everything is there. I'm going to make sure that nobody is burnt out in the house. I'm going to make sure that the evangelist team is excited. They're going to have to say, listen, I don't want all of you to come. You may kill Greenwich. We need to get to that level. If you're one of those Christians that come and get your blessing and you count them one by one and you take them on gone, you need to stop for a moment. You need to stop. And you say, God, help me. 
that men may see my good works. Men may see that I'm committed. I want to hail up all those people who work tirelessly in this congregation. I want to thank you for your dedication. You think that young lady came and she just sang like this this morning? She had to be practicing. She had to be praying. She had to be sorting herself out. So when she comes, she's given the best. You think I'm coming just preaching like this? My first prayer meeting was just after 6 this morning. My second prayer meeting was just after 9 this morning. You can't just come and do things and just receive, receive, receive. You've got to get into a mode where you're giving as well. And as we do that, God begins to work. God begins to bless. God begins to reveal himself. And God begins to get the glory in our lives. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be like Jesus. Jesus was not only relevant, but he was accessible. I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be everything like Jesus. Everything like Jesus. Everything like Jesus. Because I know that as I day on day become like Jesus, day on day, my life becomes enriched in the things of the kingdom. I want to pray for you. You see, the kingdom is starved today of men and women who are committed and dedicated. Starved. The kingdom is suffering because men and women will not turn up and put their talents and their gifts towards the kingdom. If young men could stand on our street corners and seek to radicalize people, why can't I stand and seek to help people to love and to have compassion and talk to them? God wants us to get our priorities right. Some of us are working every hour God sent. You're working and then next minute you're gone to glory. And I wish I'm going to be there to chop some of that money you've left behind. Come on. Some of you are so busy, always hustling. Always hustling. Hustling. Always on some run-ins. Stop hustling. Stop rushing. Everything we want is in the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Get it right. Seek Jesus. Get Jesus. And everything your heart desire, according to his will, he will do it for you. He will do it as we get it right.